Take our Bibles, if you would, turn over to the book of 1 John, chapter 4, verse 4. Again, we're dealing with doctrinal delicacies. Doctrinal delicacies. And, of course, a delicacy being something pretty tasty, pretty good. And, of course, uh, boy, we've got some wonderful doctrines in the Word of God that are just so packed and so satisfying. And <clears throat> tonight we're just going to touch on a 
Simple thought tonight, <clears throat> we're going to deal with the enemy and warfare. The enemy and warfare tonight. 1 John chapter 4, uh, verse 4. One simple verse to kick things off. We'll have a number of scriptures, obviously, along the way. But the Bible simply says, Ye are of God, little children, and have overcome them, because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Isn't that good? Boy, it's good to know that in the midst of this battle, this warfare in which we're in, that uh, we're more than conquerors through him. That we, indeed, with God's help, are able to overcome all obstacles, to endure all hardship, to ultimately be victorious. And that's a wonderful truth that we have, because greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. Tonight, again, we want to take just a few moments and discover or talk about the enemy and warfare. And so we're going to take just a few minutes and do that. Uh, as we kick things off, I think it's pretty obvious that we're soldiers. That's the first thing that we have to understand. We're spoken of as soldiers in the Bible. I don't think we have to spend a lot of time on that. I think that you and I have spent a number of times dealing with that, speaking about it, working on it in the past. But the Bible simply says this in the book of 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 3 and 4. It says, <clears throat> Thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No man that warreth entangleth himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who hath chosen him to be a soldier. Listen, it doesn't matter whether you want to be in the war, whether you want to be in the battle, whether you want to be even on, on, in, the, in the army. It doesn't matter. If you're a child of God, you're already in it. Amen. And so you might as well get used to the war. You might as well figure out how to get some victory in your life. And the truth is, is as believers, we live in a very decadent, very depraved, very morally uh, wicked society and culture. And boy, we're being bombarded with temptation constantly from every every imaginable avenue. And so it's so important that we understand who our enemy is and how to deal with him. And uh, I, I'll be honest with you, I don't have it all figured out. I wish I did. I wish I had it all figured out. I wish I could tell you that, that I, I never make mistakes, I never mess up, I never sin. But you know what? I'm just flesh too. And you know, it's, it's a constant battle. It's a constant warfare. And so <clears throat> we just can't give up on that battle. But we can have victory in our lives. We don't have to be defeated. And boy, we're so glad that we have that promise from God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we're going to go ahead and take a few moments and discover some things and see what we can learn from the Word of God tonight. So before we do, let's pray. Father, we come to you. We thank you again for this opportunity that we have to gather here this evening. Thank you for these that have made their way to Community Baptist Temple. Father, with the express desire to learn, to glean, to grow from your Word. Father, I ask, Lord, that tonight you just fill me with your spirit. I have nothing to offer your people in and of myself. And, Lord, I just, Father, ask that you would allow me to be your mouthpiece. May you stand in my shoes, Father. May you just enable me, Father, just to proclaim your truth with great unction and power. But, Lord, on the other hand, may you anoint every listening ear that they may hear with spiritual ears. God, drive home your truths. May we truly glean and, and, and grow from what we will hear tonight. May we be made more aware of our need to be very cautious and careful. And Lord, may you help us to overcome and be victorious because we are grateful that greater is he that's in us, you, Lord Jesus, than he that's in this world. Thank you so much now, Father, for that truth, Father, for that reality, and for that hope. Now bless us tonight in Christ's name. Amen. So <clears throat> we're soldiers. We're in a battle. That's a given. So what kind of battle do I, as a Christian, 
fight? Well, the Bible teaches us that we fight spiritual battles. Spiritual battles. Take your Bible, if you would, look over to Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12 to start with. <clears throat> Here we have a passage that uh, identifies the battle, the warfare, as being spiritual. It says, For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. The devil has a hierarchy, just like God does. The reality is, is that he has an army in place as well. He has his generals, and he has his commanders, and he has his troops all <clears throat> active and working and trying to deceive. The fact is, is that we're in a spiritual battle, and that is a reality that we must face, a spiritual battle. Now, this battle cannot be won with guns. It's not one with physical bombs or planes. We don't literally have a sword and a shield that we carry about. It is a spiritual battle. The devil is behind anything that would possibly cause your faith to waver. Anything that would discourage you. Anything that would tend to deceive you. Anything that would cause you any kind of, of, of concern at all. He's behind it. Anytime you, you doubt, anytime you can't wrap your mind around the reality of Christ, it is the devil that's seeking to trip you up, mess you up, and ultimately devour you. A spiritual battle. In the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 3 through 5, the Bible says, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. It's not a battle of flesh. It's a battle of spirit. He goes on to say, For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, fleshly, but mighty through God, through the pulling down of strongholds. And so we have a spiritual warfare that we're in. And again, we talked the other day, uh, the other night, about the fact that there's an alternate reality that the devil tends to create. And the fact is, is that everything, almost everything that we endure, everything that we, we deal with, is really not real, in a sense. Because it is so short, in retrospect, to eternity. The fact is, is we have been so deceived to believe that this is what it's all about. And it's not what it's all about. In comparison to eternity, our life is but a vapor that appeareth for a little time, then vanisheth away. So the fact is, is that real living takes place after we've been here. The real journey is, this is just a pilgrimage, and the real, the real life starts at death, in the presence of Christ. And so, you know, we have to understand that the devil is going to try to do all he can to deceive us and so forth. So it's a spiritual warfare, a spiritual battle that we fight. Physical strength, again, is useless. It is of no value. In 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 8, the Bible says, For bodily exercise profiteth little. Now let me tell you, it seems like a lot of Baptists take that literally. <clears throat> You, you know, it, it does, but remember, it does profit just little. But, but a little is better than nothing sometimes, okay? So, you know, this body is a temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, okay? So we, we want this body to be as in best shape as it can be with what we got to work with. But the fact is, is that the physical strength, working out every day, getting big biceps, huge shoulders, massive pectorals, 
I'm sorry, I don't mean to describe myself, but, but the fact is, is that all of those things only merit us so much. They really have no real bearing in the spiritual warfare that we face. A man or a woman can be truly just buff, if you know what I'm saying, and honestly be tiny spiritually in God's economy. <clears throat> so the physical strength is useless. The battle, also we have to understand, is fought in the mind. It's fought in the mind. Take your Bible and turn over to that, 2 Corinthians chapter 10, for just a moment. I started to quote it. Let's go ahead and look at it now because it's so important to understand that the real battle that we face is not a physical battle. The real battle we face is a spiritual battle which is fought in the mind. <clears throat> over there in 2 Corinthians now, notice it says, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh, verse 3. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. Notice this now. Casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalted itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. Again, it's a, 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 it's a mind battle. It's in the mind. That's where the battle's really fought. That's the devil's playground if we yield it to him. Or it can be the spirit's stronghold if we give it to him. But it's fought in the mind. Gentlemen, let's face it. The bottom line is this. Every evil thought starts here. Every evil deed starts here. Ladies, it's the same with you. Every, every attitude or every uh, inkling to, to maybe uh, do something that's contrary to the word of God begins in the mind. And we have to be so careful because it is a spiritual battle. Physical strength is useless. And that battle is fought in the mind. And so we need to understand that Ephesians chapter 5 verse 18 also says, Be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. Because see, what the devil wants to do is fill your mind with anything and everything other than the Lord. And, and you know, <clears throat> we have to be so careful. I was thinking just yesterday um, about how Satan works. And, you know, I used to, you know, you think uh, in years ago, it wasn't that awfully long ago, on Sundays, most businesses were closed outside of hospitals and, you know, maybe a, a fast food restaurant, maybe somewhere that just happened to come about, maybe a McDonald's in the 60s or something. The, the fact was most restaurants were closed, uh, most uh, malls were closed, uh, businesses were closed on Sunday. And, uh, you know, it was the Lord's Day. And, I mean, people gave themselves to worship or even if they weren't godly, even if they weren't churchgoers, they, they at least acknowledged Sunday as God's day. And I was thinking about this. I, I, I got thinking about what goes on on Sundays now. Isn't it interesting how the devil has taken a good thing and made it a bad thing? You say, what do you mean? For instance, he's taken a good thing, family time, and he's turned it into a bad thing because now it's on Sundays. Because what he's done, he's placed both men and women in the workforce. And now everybody works because of the service industry in which we live, Monday through Sunday now. And so if anybody even gets a Sunday off, they say it's my only day off, so I want to spend it with my family. What they're really saying, however, is I want to spend it in front of the television set watching sports. Now, I got thinking about sports too the other day. And isn't it interesting that now sports consume our Sundays? 
Not only do they consume them in a professional sense, but they consume them in our family too. What we do is we allow our children to join soccer teams and baseball teams and football teams and everything else. Guess when they all seem to play now? Sundays. You don't think that is a diabolical scheme that Satan has placed in our culture in order to keep people's minds off of God's day? When our minds ought to be focused on the Lord Jesus Christ, they're focused on sports. They're focused on entertainment. They're focused on anything other than Him. That is all a satanic attempt to cloud your mind and to keep you from being filled with the Spirit and experiencing the joy of the Lord in your life. It's so, so tempting to get caught up in what's going on today. Sundays, like any other day, it seems... Is, or should I say, is just like any other day anymore. And that is really sad, isn't it? We're raising a group or a generation of children that honestly will never see what the big deal is about Sundays. And boy, that's sad. Because see, it is a spiritual warfare. You say it's no big deal. It's just I'm just doing this for a change. Or I'm just going here instead this week. Or I'm just, no, it is a spiritual battle. And Satan is winning out so often and there's another generation following behind that are, are watching and learning, unfortunately, and sometimes not the right things. So what we note here as we move along is that we're, we're spoken as soldiers in the Bible. What kind of battle do we as Christians fight or wage? Spiritual battle, spiritual warfare. So what's Satan's goal in this battle? What's his goal? Well, I don't think we have to turn too far other than the 1 Peter 5, 8, which probably many of you may even have memorized. He says, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil is a roaring lion, walketh about, seeking whom he may devour. It is so interesting to me to watch how society has, has depicted Satan. He's no longer... The, 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 the man in, in a red suit with horns sticking out of his head and a pitchfork. He's no longer viewed as being so evil. Now, now he's viewed as one that can give tremendous power. I mean, I don't care. I, listen to me. If you let your kids, I'm just going to, you, you, you got to use your brain on this one, folks. If you let your kids watch these shows that deal with all of this uh, vampire stuff, if you let them read these trashy books about the occult, if you allow them to get infused and incest and totally consumed with these thoughts, let me tell you, that is satanic at the very root. Somebody says, well, you don't have a right to tell me what to do in my home. You know what? I don't. But I have a right to tell you in the house of God what God has to say about it. And let me tell you something. He don't have any. And God, God could care less about those. He hates that stuff. He hates that stuff. And we, we are feeding it to a generation. And they are living it and they're, they're wanting it. And they're saying, man, I will sell my soul to be desirable to a woman or a man. I will sell my soul to have the kind of power to, be, to have prestige and prosperity and power. I'll do it. Because that's what they're being told he can give them. Let me tell you, there's something wrong with that. No Christian child should ever have to deal with that and see that and grow up with that junk in their life. And there shouldn't be any adult reading that trash or looking at it either that names the name of Christ. No way. You know, we don't talk enough about those things. That is culturally relevant today. 
But we don't talk about culturally relevant things because we don't want people to get upset. But may I say that one day at the judgment seat, I don't answer for what you do, but I will answer for what I have done in regards to this. And I want to tell you, when I want my conscience clear and I want my hands clean. Because God help us, as children of God, are deceived by a Satan who is a spiritual war monger. And he is destroying and devouring the people of God, left and right. The devil hates your guts. There's nothing about you he likes as a child of God. Nothing. He hates your God. He hates the spirit that lives in you. He hates the testimony that you have. He wants to devour and destroy that testimony. He wants to wreck and ruin your marriage. He wants to destroy completely your family. He wants to wreck your children's future. He hates you. And we better start teaching that the devil hates. Because if we don't, our kids are going to love him. Because that's what the world's teaching he does. He's so good. No, God is good. The devil is anything but good. What's his, his goal? To destroy, to devour, to ruin your testimony. See, God saved us with a purpose in mind. That purpose is real simple. Obviously, one says, well, to glorify God, to honor the Lord. Yes. And may I say, you cannot do that unless you are helping others find him. We like to get away from the responsibility. We like to talk about what the purpose is, but we don't want to talk about what or how to fulfill the purpose. Let me tell you, God intends that every believer here share what he has given them. It's not enough to have it. You've got to share it. That's what God intended for us, at least. In the book of Matthew, chapter 5, verse 16, he says, Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. See your good works. What good works do you have to put on display for the world tonight? At work, what are those good works that you're putting on display? What is it that distinguishes you or makes you peculiar or different in the eyes of your co-laborers and workers? What about the, you young people in, in, in school today? What, what are you or how are you living so differently or what is it about you that's unique that they can say there's something different about how are those works being manifest in your life and in my life? That is so important. As I said the other day and as I made the statement, as we looked at that and just touched on that passage briefly, so let your light shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. If they see your evil works, they will glorify another God and they will look with disdain on the one that you possess. It's so important that we understand it works conversely. I can show and glorify God through my good works or I can give him a big black eye through my evil works. That is my responsibility as a child of God. And that's everyone's responsibility knowing Christ. He wants to devour us, though. He wants to wreck that testimony. He wants to steal that from you. He wants to ruin your testimony so that you are rendered ineffective with your co-workers, with your wife, your husband, with your children. He wants to render your testimony useless if we view or are viewed as hypocrites, no one will ever listen to us. And that's exactly what the devil wants to do with your testimony. Make you appear to be inconsistent. And if he can get you to look inconsistent, he'll steal that testimony and render you useless to Christ 
and to those who are most needful of him. So what strategies, strategies or tactics does Satan use to accomplish his goal of wrecking your testimony, ruining your Christianity? And that's what he wants to do. He wants to devour you. He wants to destroy you. Uh, you really think that, that God puts that young lady at work, gentlemen, that just seems to really, you know, take to you? That's just coincidence? Oh, wow, you know. My wife has, you know, okay, she says she loves me every once in a while, but she really, doesn't, she really doesn't understand how much I do for this family. She doesn't really appreciate me the way I should be appreciated. And that girl at work, she just always, man, everything I do, she just, you can tell, she just really appreciates me and everything I'm doing. She's always so attentive when I speak. She's always listening like, oh my, every word just, do you think that's a coincidence, gentlemen? You better get away from that. Because that's just the devil's spiritual attempt utilizing physical means to wreck and ruin you, your marriage, your family, which ultimately ruins your testimony. You better be careful. Same with you ladies. We're out there in the workforce. You're out there day to day. Be careful. I tell you, when your husband's not meeting those needs in your life, it's very easy to look for someone else to do so. So you say, oh, what are you talking about? This isn't a, a marriage seminar? No, but I'd like to save a few right now. I'd sure like to do that. Because that's where this junk ends up. Because Satan wants to devour you. He in no way wants you to succeed on God's behalf. He wants to wreck and ruin your testimony. How's he do that? What are some of his tactics? Well, you look, if you will, in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 11. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 11. Notice what he says here, the word he uses. <clears throat> he tells us in Ephesians 6, 11, to put on the whole armor of God. And we know that armor is used as a means of protection in battle. Put on the whole armor of God that ye may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Now, one would say, well, what are wiles? Well, they are simply this. Let me just give you one word. Trickery. Amen. Tricks. Trickery. Okay, that's what wiles are. <clears throat> Basically, when we look at wiles, we're talking about something that appears one way when it is really another way. It appears one way, but it's really not that way. That's how the devil works. He's a masterful trick artist. He knows how to make things look one way when they're really not that way. Over in the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 14, turn there. Because see, we've got to understand this. He himself is the master tricker. You know, trick or treat, <laughs> the devil goes, trick. That's all what I'm about. Tricks. I love trick. You know, I'll give you a treat all right. Yeah. But no, he, he, he's about tricks. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 14, he says, And no marvel, for Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. So even Satan appears to be an angel of light. He can make us believe, we can, we can look at Satan if we're not careful, honestly. You, how do you know who Satan is? Hold on, don't answer too quick. Oh, he's got those horns, and he's got a pitchfork. He runs around with a pointed tail. 
Nope, that's not Satan. Satan appears to be an angel of light. You know what that means? Every last one of us, if all we're doing is looking with our physical eyes, would embrace him as Christ himself. Did you hear what I just said? Oh, I wouldn't do that. He is the epitome of evil. I'd have nothing to do with Satan. Yes, you would. You would see him as an angel of light. You'd see him as Christ. Why do you think that the world will be so deceived in the tribulation? They'll see with human eyes, fleshly eyes, and they'll be totally deceived. You know how the only way you can tell if it's Satan or Christ? By what comes out of his mouth, his words. Search the scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life, and they are they which testify of me, the Lord said. When he opens his mouth, it's a lie. Because he is the father of it. He's the father of all lies. It's the only way you can know Satan. It's through what he says, his word. That's why you have to know what God says so you can defend yourself. So you know when Satan's speaking instead of the, devil, uh, the Lord. People say, I, I just don't have time to read and study and pray. And I, You don't have time not to. You don't know that book. You honestly can't distinguish between trick or treat. Not only does he use trickery or wiles, but turn, if you would, to 2 Timothy 2, 24. Here's another one of his, I guess his uh, tactics or his strategies. He uses trickery, but he also uses traps. Notice in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 24, the Bible says, and the servant of the Lord must not strive, but be gentle unto all men, apt to teach, patient, in meekness, instructing those that oppose themselves. Isn't that interesting? Isn't that an amazing statement? There's a, there's a series. There's got to be a whole series of messages on that right there. Instructing those that oppose themselves. If God peradventure will give them repentance to the acknowledging of the truth, and that they may recover themselves out of the snare of the devil who are taken captive by him at his will. You know, it's interesting. When we get into sin, you know whose idea we think it is? I think it's our idea. We, we, we're so stupid. I mean, honestly, we're so arrogant. We're so prideful. We go around going, well, I decided I want to do this, and I decided I want to do that, and I, I decided I don't want to go to church anymore, and I decided I'm not going to... Oh, really? You really think that was your idea? You honestly believe it was your idea? No, you are taken, as the Bible says here in, our, in the passage, he said, you have been taken captive by him at his will, not yours. It wasn't your idea. It wasn't up to you. He just deceived you. He tricked you. He trapped you. And you just bit hook, line, and sinker. He reeled you in. You go. Oh, 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 oh. And the devil's over there going, <laughs> you fool. That's exactly what he's doing. You think you're, 
you know, George of the Jungle or something. You're not. You've been taken captive by him at his will. His will. Nobody tells me what I'm doing. I'm my own man. No, you're not. You're either going to let the Lord tell you what to do, or you're going to let Satan tell you what to do. That's the bottom line. The only thing you choose is who you're going to follow. That's the only choice you've got. That's the only choice I have. Traps. Those are, he sets snares to bind us. In 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 9 and 10, the Bible says this. It says, But they that will be rich fall into temptation and a snare, and into many foolish and hurtful lusts, which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is the root of all evil, which while some coveted after, they have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. We would go back now to sports on Sunday. You really believe that sports on Sunday were placed there because you just want to watch them and they're good, you enjoy them? No, somebody's making lots of this. That's what it's really all about. That's the root of sports on Sunday. That's why every business is open on Sunday. That's why we're, we're no longer recognized Sunday as the Lord's Day because of this, the root of all evil. It's the real root, money. Two of the greatest weapons that the devil will use to trick or trap is number one, distraction. He will try to distract you. Now, take your Bible, if you would, look over at the book of 2 Samuel, chapter 11, verse 1 through 2. We run into a character, a man by the name of David. David, David is a godly man. He is a man after God's own heart, by God's own testimony. And yet, we're going to see that he's that he's going to be distracted. And in being distracted, Satan brings him down. Notice what the Bible says here. Who's there that has a King James Bible that'll read that for me? You got that real quick? Yeah, go ahead, brother. Stand up and read it, would you? Okay, thank you. He used something to distract David. He distracted him. David, I'm sure, had plenty of business to take care of. He had a lot of responsibilities to deal with. But what did Satan do? He, he knew he couldn't give him a frontal attack. He knew he couldn't just come to him and say, you know, sin against your God. So what did he do? He distracted him. He got his focus off of what was most important and off of the Lord and the right, and he got it on the physical. He distracted David, and David was devoured by it. Not only does he use distraction, and let me tell you, he'll use distraction on us all day long. Don't think for a minute these phones and all this internet access and all these social medias and outlets are not distractions at times. I like what Brother Runyon says all the time. He holds up his phone, he'll say, 
This is either a, what's he say? What's it, somebody say, it's a toy or it's a tool. Yeah, it's a tool or a toy. That's what he says. It's a tool or a toy. If I was testing you, most of you would have flunked there. But anyway, it's a tool or, I don't got a 50%, but uh, that's still an F, isn't it? But anyway, um, a tool or a toy. You can use it for either or. And you know what? That's true. And, and so many times we're being distracted. I wonder if we could really um, somehow get some honest responses through survey. Because remember, we talked about, you know, how people like to say how much they do good, but they don't like to talk about what they do bad. But anyway, we talked about that. But nonetheless, um, I, wonder, I wonder how much the Internet, social media, phones, tablets, all of those things have distracted the believer and have kept them from effective Bible devotion time. I, I, if we could really get the honest response. I'm not, I'm not talking about, well, I spent 30 minutes reading my Bible yesterday. Okay, but did you spend 30 minutes reading your Bible and never once look at your phone? You know, that's what I'm talking about. We're distracted sometimes. And so before the Lord can even really get a hold of our heart through the passage or through the Word of God or through the Spirit or through prayer, we're being distracted. Oh, I have it on silent. Well, did you feel that buzz? Because I don't know about you, when I feel it vibrate against my body, I go, oh, i got to look at that. Do you do that? I do. I'm tempted to look at my phone every time it rings, buzzes, beeps, or blurbs. <laughs> I, I, I am. I, I just can't. I, I, I shut the thing off at, at night because I don't want to hear the and I come straight out of bed. I, I can't deal with it. I can't handle it. And so he said, well, I, it doesn't bother me a bit. It bothers me, though. You know, I, I thank the Lord. I mean, honestly, we are so blessed. We don't have phones going off in our service, and we don't have that stuff happening. I mean, every once in a while, something like that may happen. But as a whole, it doesn't happen. Everybody's turning their phones off now. <laughs> but, but, you know, we're very blessed like that. But I'll tell you what, it seems like everywhere I go, well, the doctor's office, no cell phones usage, at, you know, and all this stuff. You know, everybody, everywhere you go now, no, turn your cell phones off and put them on silent and all that. Because why? They're distracting. All I'm saying is, is that the devil will use things in our life. He'll use people, places, things. He'll use so many things to distract us. He'll use our health to distract us. He'll use our body and physical aspects of ourselves to distract us. He'll use things we see and things we hear. and other. He'll just use anything to distract us. Not only that, but number two, he'll just dis discouragement. The devil will use distraction, but he'll also use discouragement. Speaking of David again, Turn over to 1 Samuel chapter 30. Let's just look at verse 6. Remember the story. 1 Samuel chapter 30. Remember, remember the story. David and the men are gone. But while they're gone, the Amalekites come to Ziglag, and they ultimately take wives and children and all the spoil and remove it from the city. David returns with his men, and they're prepared to stone him. They blame David for the fact that while they were gone, this enemy came upon them, taking their wives and families and all of their belongings. Notice what it says in verse 6. Who will stand and read that for me? Uh, yeah, go ahead, brother.
David encouraged himself in the Lord his God. What did the devil try to do to David that day? Discourage him. What did David do? He encouraged himself in the Lord. One of Satan's greatest weapons in your life will be to discourage you. He'll try to discourage you. I don't know if you've ever been discouraged, but I've had a few bouts with it. You know, maybe you, you don't uh, do as well on the test as you thought you would, and you start to look down on yourself, and you start to be very dis negative about your class and about your teacher and about everything that's going on in life. Man, the devil will get your eyes off of Christ, and you'll no longer see the blessings of the, and the joy of the Christian life. Instead, all you'll see is the negative, the negative. It'll be so pessimistic and so... Ugh. Well, we've got to be careful. Isn't that what he tries to do in the church? Discourage people. You know, we go out soul winning, and what's he want to say to you if you don't come back with a soul? Ah, this ain't worth it. You're just wasting your time. <laughs> people don't want to hear the truth anymore. You're just wasting your time. You could have been at home relaxing. You could have slept in today. You could have been with your children. And you still could be, by the way. Let me tell you a secret to successful Christian living. Take your kids with you in serving God. We do not have a babysitter on Tuesday nights. You want to know why? Because now that we're just going out visiting, I want families to serve God together. I want, I want children to watch Daddy lead someone to the Lord in a home. I want them to have the privilege of recognizing that God still works. Isn't that something? Family time, serving Jesus. That's a novel idea, isn't it? Serving the Lord as a family? Wow. Who would have ever thought? The Lord did. You do yourself and your family a disservice, sir, going out soul winning by yourself and leaving your wife at home with the kids. Take her with you. Take the kids. Dress them up. Put a tie on that little boy. Put a dress on that little girl. If it's good enough for mom to wear one, it's good enough for the daughter. If it's good enough for the dad, it's good enough for the son. You ought to look like Christians. You go out representing Christ in the church. And when you knock on that door, those people go, my goodness, what a beautiful family. You say, but my kids would never sit still. They would never listen long enough. Then train them up and teach them properly so they will sit at your feet and not move while you're talking to someone and leading them to Christ. We make excuses for not doing what we know is best for our families. And what's best for our families is to have a home that honors Christ and ultimately can serve God together. You say, well, keep moving. And I say, okay, let's move on. How can I be victorious? Let's knock this out. We're almost done. We really are. We've got just a few more minutes. Now, let me run through them quickly. How can I be victorious then? Devil wants to destroy me. He's using all this trickery, all these traps. He wants to, he wants to distract me. He wants to discourage me. How in the world am I supposed to be victorious? Well, first of all, know your enemy. Know your enemy. I mean, we could spend some time talking about Satan specifically, and we have in the past, so I don't know that I'm going to spend a lot of time on that. But know your enemy. Get to know him. Not, not just in the sense, I mean, read the Bible, yes. Understand where he came from, who he was, what his purpose is, how he functions and operates. You get a lot of that through the, 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 the Gospels. You get a lot of that through the New Testament. You see him, in, used, see him working in the Old Testament. Look at him. Watch him in Job, chapter 1 and 2. See how he tries to devour Job with the physical. And really what his goal was is to reckon spiritually. It didn't work, though. It did not work. 
Though he slay me, yet will I trust you. Amazing. Isn't that amazing? To hear Sister Sandy's testimony. Whatever God wants is what's best. I don't know if she wars with that through the, through the day or through the night. What I do know is, though, is she can stand and say, God is good. Man, praise God for that kind of testimony. Because, see, what the devil wants to do is dis- he wants to devour her. He wants to distract her. He wants to, to, to discourage her and keep her from having the joy of the Lord in her life. Who knows how long she'll live? Who knows how long I'll live? Who knows how long you'll live? But what I do know is, as long as we live, God does want us to know his joy. And the devil wants to steal that from you. And he wants your children to see that sickening display of Christianity that is always negative, pessimistic, so that they can say, I want nothing to do with their God. I want nothing to do with church. Because all there is is a bunch of gossips and a bunch of hypocrites there. Some of the worst are pastor's kids. Sadly enough, ran into one door knocking Monday. That's sad. Used to be, oh, as a pastor's kid, are you in church? No. Nope. You know what I usually end up having to do? Apologize on behalf of preachers and people because somebody hurt their parents and their parents weren't wise enough to handle it properly and allowed them to know about the hurt and it destroyed their children. That's usually what happens. You know what? That happens in the home too. Not just preachers, folks. You want to know why most children are turned off from church? Because something's going on in a parent's life. They may be a good Christian, but they're not showing the joy of the Lord. I want my kids to love what I love, and that's my Lord and my ho- the house of God. And so I don't want to show negativity. I don't want them to hear about somebody stabbing somebody in the back, or I don't want them to know about somebody that's inconsistent and hypocritical in their attitude and outlook. Man, we're not talking about those things in the home. We're not telling them about those things. Because we don't want them to believe even, well, it's the reality of life. Well, good. Let them have the reality of life and let it choke them to death spiritually. I put my kids in a bubble for a number of years. I did. I, I love, I don't know about that show, Boy in a Bubble. Uh, John Travolta, you know, Vinny Barbarino. You know, I don't know about old Vinny, but what I do know, he played Vinny Barbarino too, on the, you know, Sweat Hogs. But anyway, I, I didn't watch it, right? But, but, but years ago, nonetheless, okay. But, but the fact is, is that I believe in that principle. I believe that you shelter until the roots grow deep enough to where they can handle it. Know your enemy. He wants to devour you. And he, his ways are outlined in the word of God. See how he functions and operates. Don't be caught off guard. Walk circumspectly. In Ephesians chapter 5, verse 15, the Bible says, See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise. If I can just illustrate this real quickly, walking circumspectly, it's like this. That's what he's talking about. Don't close your eyes. Don't bury your head in the sand. Man, you keep your eyes open, watching. Not only that, know your enemy, walk circumspectly, but always wear your armor. 
In Ephesians chapter 6, verse 11 through 18, we'll not take the time to read it all, but we see the breastplate of righteousness. We see the shield of faith, the helmet of salvation, the sword of the Spirit, loins girt about with truth. We see these things. We hear about them. But do we put them on every day? If we really look at those, that armor, what we find is that it is none other than Jesus himself. That's really what the armor represents, is Christ himself. And so we're putting Christ on every day. And that's the only true defense we have. Keep your weapon close by. The weapon, of course, is the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God. Meditate on it. Memorize it. Honestly, when's the last time you memorized the Scripture? I mean, that's, I'm not, I'm not, okay, you know, Jesus wept. Okay, we got that one, okay? We already figured that one out, so that's not, that one's, that one's not on the table this week. Okay? But, but, I mean, honestly, when's the last time you memorized the Scripture? You say, I was so encouraged. Where, where's she at, Miss Parker? Miss Parker, you so encouraged. I, I know you, you're embarrassed. I know that. But, but let, let me please. Mrs. Parker grabbed me the other Sunday morning. She, she, she was so excited. Preacher, preacher, come over here. I, I want to encourage you today. Now, I, I don't know. She honestly believed it would, and I'm so glad she did believe that because it did. She began to quote over in the book of Romans. You know where the Bible talks about over in chapter, um, chapter 8, Verse 35 through 39, you know, the love of God, what will separate us from the love of God and all that. Nothing, you know, nothing. Man, I mean, four verses, five verses later, she's finishing up. Here's what she said to me. I said, that's amazing, Mrs. Parker, and that is so encouraging. Thank you for sharing that with me. She said, I haven't, I, I've had problems remembering things and memorizing things for years now. But I just felt like the Lord would have me memorize those scriptures and do the best I could. She goes, it is amazing. I said, it's a miracle. Folks, listen to me. If Mrs. Parker can memorize four verses, I think most of us in here could memorize one at least. I, I'm, not, I'm not trying to elevate her. I'm, I'm, just, I'm just saying what a testimony that was to me. What an indictment maybe even on my own. Four verses in one week she learned. She did that to impress me, right? Mrs. Parker. Yeah, seriously, wanted the preacher to come on over. She's just trying to impress him. It's all about impressing the preacher. Do you really believe that? No, you don't. You know better than that. You know better than that. She did want to encourage me. She'd done it. God put it on her heart. She did it. And then she wanted me to have a blessing of, you know, of sharing in it. Oh, I'm allowed to cry with her, the Bible says. I'm allowed to, to laugh with her, the Bible says. Rejoice with her. Sorrow with her. Why can't I be encouraged with her? <laughs> Keep that weapon close. Thy word have I hid in mine heart that I might not sin against thee, it says. And then finally, never forget where your power to fight comes from. Don't forget about where your power to fight comes from. You know, Memorizing scripture is good, but don't start to depend on the fact that you just memorized a lot of scripture and then you'll be good to go. No. Remember Samson's hair? He thought it was all about the hair. No. 
It wasn't all about the hair. It's about his God. He wist not. He wist not that the Lord had departed. He didn't even know God had left him. That's something. Jesus says, I'm the vine, you're the branches. For without me, you can do nothing. Do we really believe that today? Mom, do you really believe that? You cannot raise your children the way God intended without him. You can't do it. That's what the Bible just said. You can do nothing. Dad, you cannot provide for your family. Okay, go ahead. I can do it. Okay. All right. The Bible says you can do nothing without him. Nothing. And if you're doing something and you're not including him, that's called mercy and grace. We can do nothing. Sunday school teacher, you can't teach that Sunday school class without him. I don't care how knowledgeable you are. I don't care if you've been to Bible college. The truth is you're not accomplishing what God wants you to, to accomplish because you, without him you can do nothing. Paul the Apostle even said, not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think anything as of ourselves. Our sufficiency is of God. Prayer, purity, equal power. May God help us to understand where the power comes to fight this battle. We've got to spend time on our knees and in the presence of Christ. Then we have to face our problems, deal with that sin in our life, confess it, forsake it, repent of it. And in the end, when it's all said and done, we're going to be victorious. That's how the book ends, by the way, with us winning. We don't lose. He may, he may discourage you from time to time. He may, he may distract you. He, he, may, he may even feel like he's devoured you at times in your life. But I'm going to tell you something, you still win. And I still win in the end. And for that reason, we ought to want to serve him even more. Because in the end, we win and he loses. The devil that deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone, where the beast and the false prophet are, and shall be tormented day and night forever and ever. That's how it ends for him. We've escaped condemnation. His awaits. His awaits us. Someone says, I feel sorry for the devil. I don't. Not the devil. For a man or a woman that's deceived by him, yes. I don't feel sorry for the devil. Can you imagine literally seeing God face to face in the heavenlies? Being the anointed cherub that covereth? And having the gall, the audacity, the arrogance, the pride to literally say, I will be like the most high God. And then to have the arrogance, the audacity to take everything God created and turn it dark, sinful, rebellious, and destroy it all because of his hatred for the God that loves you and I so much. The devil will get what he deserves. Sadly enough, we usually do too. God help us to know that enemy 
and he will never be anything but an enemy. So you be careful having pity on him. Because all he wants to do is ruin you, destroy you, devour you. Father, we come to you. We thank you again for...